Hi, everybody. This is a podcast, everything about hockey. Now, this podcast, I'm going to just talk about things I just don't understand. Uh, for instance, the New Jersey Devils, their transactions in this last offseason. Also, the Nashville Predators, their transactions in this last season. I just don't understand what they're doing. And I don't understand why the hockey media, mainstream media, applauds some of these moves. And there are a bunch of other stuff, like uh, Arizona Coyotes, draft picks. I just don't understand what they were doing here. Let's start off with the New Jersey Devils. What do I not understand about them? Let's start off with the New Jersey Devils. A couple years ago, they were one of the worst teams in the league. Their goals for was 2.99. They was ranked 19th in the league. Their goals allowed was 3.68, 29th out of 31 teams in the league. So they made a decision to shore up their defense and their goaltending to get better. And they did so. They added goaltending depth with Vanacek. He's a solid, reliable goaltender. Came from the Washington Capitals organization as a free agent. They also picked up a couple depth defensemen. John Marino. He's a solid two-way defenseman. And Brandon Smith. A versatile two-way defenseman. Really reliable. And they also on the uh, forward department, they got the guy known as the Czech warrior, Polak. He's an all-around stud forward. He's proven. He's a proven leader. He's won cups. He's gotten clutch goals when you need them. He can play defense. He's an all-around stud forward that they add. They picked up all these guys for the sole purpose of helping get that goals allowed lower than 3.68. And they did. It worked. Last year, the goals for were 2.52, but their goals allowed went from 3.68 to 2.71, which was ranked eighth in the league as best goals allowed. It really worked. I mean, it was, it was impressive. So what did they do this year? They decided to increase the offense and take away from the defense. What, what got them to a playoff spot in a solid playoff run. What they did was, first off, they decided to get rid of Severson. That was their, one of their top-pairing defensemen. He's a top-four solid defenseman. Then they also decided to let walk Ryan Graves, which is a solid another top four defenseman. They decided to get rid of both of them. Then they decided to get rid of a uh, a goaltender. Now, Blackwood has been known to be a little erratic, but he's a depth goaltender, and you could all, you always need goaltending. You never know when you get a goaltender hurt. They decided to get rid of that, which basically now they're basically get rid of players that they added a couple years ago to make them a good playoff team. Now they decided to get rid of their defensive depth. Then up front, they decided to get Jaeger Shanovic, a solid, uh, versatile forward. Now he's not a glamorous forward. and He's not going to score, you know, 40-40 or not even, I don't think he can even get 30-30. Or he might be a 25-25 guy. Might be get, possibly get 50 points, but he's a versatile 
depth winger that could play up in your top six or your bottom six, depending on what you need. They decided to trade him away, and they decided to pick up Tyler Topoli, which, you know, he's a, he's a solid player, but he's, he's more of just a quality gold scorer forward. You really can't play too much in your bottom six. So they're actually now going to get rid of some more of their defense on their forwards now to get some more goals away. Remember, they spent most of their money on getting some for long-term deals for Brett and Myers. That's where they got most of their money. That's where they're taking away money from their defense to get these two guys wrapped up in long-term deals. And they are heck of forwards. I mean, they are pure top-line scoring forwards. They signed. Don't get me wrong. But they're actually going back, I think. They're actually going back to what they were before. Remember, in the 2020-2022 season, their goals allowed were 3.68. And the, the last year's, their goals allowed was only 2.71 because they insured up their defense. Do you really think it's smart to actually now take away that? I think you're going to improve some more. Now, let's look at Nashville. See what Nashville did. And see why I don't understand why Nashville is being praised. First off, now, the, the, both these players I am not big fans of. I really don't care for either one of these players because I do think they're slackers. But Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne, they got rid of them. Johansson they traded, and Duchesne they bought out. And next year, the buyout's going to cost Nashville Predators $3 million. The following year, the 2024-25 season, it's going to cost Nashville $9.5 million for this buyout. And the 25-26 season, it's going to cost Nashville $6.5 million of their cap space to buy out these two guys. Now, like I said, Johansson... I think he's probably going to get about 20 goals, maybe 30, 40 assists. And Duchesne, if you put him in the right situation, he can get like 30, 30. So he's a 60-point guy. But like I said, I'm not a real big fan, but I don't understand why you would do that. And then during the free agency this year, you would pick up Ryan O'Reilly, which is an old guy. You give him a four-year deal at $4.5 million dollars. Last year, he only scored 16 goals, 14 assists for 30 points. And remember, he's 32 years old right now. Then you go ahead and sign Gus Nyquist for a two-year deal at $3.2 million. So the next two years, you're going to spend $7.7 million on these two guys. So because of these transactions you've got next year, you've got $11 million against the cap. And then the following year, you're going to have $17 million the following year against that cap. And I don't think Ryan O'Reilly and Gus Nyquist can actually outscore Duchesne and Johansson. So I don't understand why the mainstream media, hockey media, is praising Nashville for these moves. I think they've actually really screwed up. Then let's look at Chicago. Now, they just got Conor Bernard a generational player, one heck of a forward. I mean, he's going to be up there with Sidney Crosby and Connor Davis in points. I mean, 
he's one heck of a player. So why in the world are now, instead of doing a total rebuild and making sure you have a cup-contending team, they're going ahead and trying to get Taylor Hall, which nothing against Taylor Hall. I think he's a, he's a solid, you know, second-line winger that can uh, help you with your defense. You know, he can score big goals. He can help you with, with a lot. But he's not a superstar forward that Connor Medard needs. He's not the dry sidle that Connor Medard needs. And then Corey Perry, he's an old forward. He's an experienced forward. He's been through a lot. Same as Nick Foligno. He's a veteran forward. Been a captain of an NHL team. He's a leader. But you, instead of doing a retool, you want to do a rebuild. This is the problem that Edmonton Oilers have. Instead of doing a rebuild, they did a retool, and now they're always just a bubble team. Team about ready to make the playoffs or make the playoffs, but they're never considered a cup contender because they never really did a real total rebuild early on. And they've got always had defensive trouble, and they've always had goaltending trouble because they never focused on that when they should have when Connor McDavis was drafted right off the bat. And I'm afraid Commodore is going to have the same problem in Chicago. They're not going to pay attention to that. They're going to just try to get him a playoff team and never get him the great player that he could be. I mean, Sidney Crosby is a great player because he's won cups. I feel real bad for Conrad Davis because he's never going to win a cup in Edmonton. And I think Commodore is probably going to have the same outcome in Chicago if they don't do the thing right. Now let's talk about the LA Kings. PLD, Pierre-Luc Dubois, is a uh, solid number one center iceman. He's a great physical presence, got a great edge to him. You know, he can score 40-40 if he feels like it. And he's a, he's a uh, solid top six center iceman. But the problem with him is he gets bored. He decides not to play for teams. He's already decided to play for, not play for two teams. Columbus and Winnipeg, and he tends to take time off. He doesn't really hustle all the time. I don't know why L.A. Kings felt, because they were on the upward trajectory right now, why they would actually get rid of a whole entire line to get a guy like this. I just don't understand. Let's talk about Toronto. Everybody's criticizing Toronto for what they did. I think uh, getting John Klingberg... Uh, one year at $4 million was brilliant. He's a definitely a top two, and he can run a power play defenseman. Then getting Ryan Reeves was brilliant too. I think he's uh, exactly what they need. He's a bottom six forward. They can play physical. He can intimidate the other team's uh, defensemen, especially the top four defensemen, in a very tough Eastern Conference and Atlantic Division. I mean, he they have to go through Boston, Florida, Tampa. So he actually makes room for Matthews, Marner, and Nylander when he's out there. Other teams don't tend to want to uh, take advantage of guys when Reed's out there. 
Now, this is what I think about uh, Carolina. I think they did a brilliant job. Dimitri Orloff, he's a talented, actually, I think he's a top four defenseman. I think he could actually be a, a top pairing defenseman. The guy for two years at 7.59 a year, that's a heck of a price for him, but that's a solid defenseman. And then the other guy they got that I really think is a really under underrecognized forward, but I, I, I like for watching him play, which is Michael Button. He's a he signed for three years at four point five million dollars. This guy is a versatile all around scoring winger. Can play up and down the line. I mean he's ideal for the Carolina Hurricanes. And he's a perfect player for Rob Brindamore type of coaching player. Rob Brindamore's going to love this guy. Other teams that did pretty interesting was Washington getting Max Pacioretty at one year at $2.2 million a year. He was banged up last year, but this guy could be a real steal for uh, the Caps. And also Dallas getting Matt Duchesne at one-year deal at $3 million. He's a solid, fast, uh, good scoring winger. I think that was also a big steal there at free agency. Now I'm going to give you a little idea what I think of the uh, the draft and players I thought were interesting picks, who I thought really uh, what teams got steals and what teams I just don't understand what they were thinking when they did what they did, which, you know, I just don't understand them, and that's just the way it works. I could be wrong. I probably am wrong with some of these, but that's just my opinion. So let's look at uh, what I think are the good moves and then I'll go back and talk about the bad moves. This is an obvious one with Mischoff. The Flyers picked seventh all from St. Petersburg, Russia in the KHL. I think that was brilliant of them. I, and, of course, obviously, I agree with the hockey media there. That was a steal. That guy could be a number one pick quality talent. And he fell to the seventh pick, which blows my mind. Another one is... Columbus Blue Jackets, when they got Adam Fantilli on the third pick, he fell to the third pick. This guy is a legitimate number one uh, center iceman. You know, he's just a bull in a china shop type of guy, like they said. I've watched him multiple times play for Michigan, and every time you're like, wow. And then Nashville, this is my good Nashville when they picked 15th overall, Matthew Wood, this guy's got some tremendous upside. If he can get physical, he could be a top left winger in the NHL. He could be a great power forward. He's got the shot, and he's got the size. He's got to be able to take a little bit of physical presence, which he can play in college. He can learn it. And, of course, then you can put, put him in Milwaukee and let him get used to the uh, pro level. But he develops into a, a uh, number one uh, left winger at 15. That would be a steal. Now I'm looking at my, my bad decision-making. First off, Arizona. I don't know what they were doing at 6-12, and 12, the players they picked, the two Russians. I just don't get it. There was a lot more quality players out there. Why did they go ahead and do this is beyond me. And then Montreal. They were picking fifth overall. And they picked David Reinbacher. Now, he, uh, he's a possibly a 
I, I think he could be a top four defenseman. And he was fifth in the national in central scouting rankings. But they could have moved down to get this guy. I don't know why they picked him at five when the other guys were available. For instance, Kobe Bellows, Ryan Leonard, Matthew Woods, Zach Benson. I, there were much more better offensive guys available that they could have definitely traded down, got the guy they want, because other teams wanted these guys and got a little extra for that. I just don't understand what they were thinking. And I'm also quite surprised that these two guys fell out of the first round. First went Ethan Gauthier. He's a right winger. He ended up going to Tampa Bay in the second round. I don't understand. This guy's a quality, talented forward with a lot of potential. How could this guy drop to the second round? And the other guy is Andrew Crystal, a left winger. This guy's a solid winger. He's an all-around playmaking winger. Uh, you know, now he was 15th in the national scouting, central scouting. So maybe that played a little bit of a factor, but I thought he at least would be in the middle of the first round. I just don't understand how he fell that low. Listen, now I'm just talking about whatever. Uh, let's talk about the Arizona Coyotes. In 1996, the Winnipeg Jets relocated to Arizona and became the Phoenix Coyotes. Then, in 2003, they moved to Glendale, a suburb just a little ways away from Phoenix. A couple years later, Jerry Molise decided to buy the team. Then, in 2009, he ended up with some financial trouble, and he uh, decided to uh, file for bankruptcy. At that point in time, the NHL took over for a short-term lease to kind of keep the team stable and in Phoenix. So the only way this is going to work is they had to sign an agreement with the Glendale um, Arena for a 15-year lease to keep the team there. But because of some other financial troubles, they ended up getting into a situation with Glendale, which they basically told um, the team that uh, we're not giving you credit anymore for this team. You have to pay as you go along. And with the financial troubles this team was experiencing, they decided to pull out of Glendale. And I, I think it's more or less Glendale, the city, and the arena decided to make force the Phoenix uh, Coyote hockey team out of their arena. So then they decided they were going to move to a, another location. So in 2016, the Arizona Coyotes announced that they would be moving to arena on the campus of the Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. It's a 5,000-seat arena, and I find the name offensive. I think it kind of degrades hockey. It's called the Mullet Arena, which I think they should have changed the name if they're putting a team there because I think it kind of makes it sound like the NHL is a bunch of goon hockey. I don't like the name to be in with at all, but that's just my opinion. So then they end up deciding to move there in a very small arena, which only averaged 4,600 people fans a game, which it blows my mind. Uh, so now they're in a real problem. The city of Tempe, Arizona, Phoenix, they decided, the voters decided they're not going to want to fund arena. So what do we do with this team now? 
Do we keep pushing? Which is the NHL really wants this team in this market for TV purposes. And it's not looking good. But the, the other options aren't that good either. One of the options is moving to Houston. They have their own problems. They have really don't have an NHL arena available. So in order to put to Houston, they're going to have to actually build an arena. They once did have a nice arena, but they tore that down. The name of the arena was the Summit. It was built in 1975 for the World Hockey Association. The Houston Arrows, it had a capacity of 16,800 people. But since it was an old building, they tore it down and actually put a church in its location. And Houston, the city itself, is pretty impressive, too. It's actually the fourth largest city in the U.S. So it would be a really big market. But unfortunately, they have no place to play. Their other option is the where the Utah Jazz plays. I forget the name of the arena, but it's only a 14,000-seat arena. It's a basketball arena that they put ice hockey in, which if you had been to a basketball arena that they actually tried to make into an NHL arena, the sight lines are awful. The actual angle of the seats are awful. I remember going to the Barclays Center to watch the New York Islanders play because uh, Brooklyn had such a famous history with the Brooklyn Americans back in the 1900s that I thought it would be cool to actually see a game in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. But the arena just didn't work. The sidelines were awful. And I can see the same thing happening with this team that's going to play in the Utah Jazz Arena, which is only 14,000 people, which is actually going to be the smallest arena in the league if they do ever put a team there. The next two biggest arenas, the next two other, the two other ones they are now the two smallest are Winnipeg's at the smallest one. It's the Air Canada Center. It's in uh, 15,000 people. I think it's the Canada Life Center. Yeah, now it's the Canada Life Center. And as soon as I said the first time, it didn't make sense, but it is the Canada Life Center. And the next one is the in New Jersey. The New Jersey uh, Devils have, a, have the second smallest arena, which is the Provincial Center in Newark, New Jersey, which I think, I think the capacity is 16,000 people. Then they always have the option of Canada liking to get a team back in Quebec, which has, has they have a really nice arena that would be really suited for the NHL. But then you have always have the problems with being Quebec being a very small city out in the middle of nowhere in the Providence. Unlike some of the other cities have small cities, but they also have other areas to actually join on. Like for instance, the Columbus Blue Jackets, which is Columbus is not a very big city, but they do have Cleveland as their AAA team. So they got people from Cleveland interested in watching the Blue Jackets play. And there's possibly going to be an affiliation with Cincinnati for the Cyclones. It's not a final yet, but they're talking about it, which means that Cincinnati would also be more interested in watching the Blue Jackets. So you have the whole entire state of Ohio watching the Columbus Blue Jackets. So you don't get that in Quebec. And the other problem with Quebec is if they put a team in eastern Canada, eastern provinces of Canada, that means then you're going to have to have a, knock a team out of the east. They're going to have to go back to the west which probably would be the Columbus Blue Jackets, which they get screwed again because that would probably be the most logical team to get moved back. That means they they would be the only team in the Western Conference playing in Eastern time zone, which means a lot of their games would be broadcast way into the night, especially the late games on the West Coast, 
would have starting times around 9.30, 10 o'clock. And then you have to deal with the travel of having those teams constantly go to the Eastern Time Zone on a regular basis to play that Eastern Conference team that had been forced to move to the West. So there's no really great option for for the Phoenix, by the actual Arizona Coyotes. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, they're probably going to get, they're probably going to get stuck in Arizona for a while until they can actually figure something out because there is just no way this is actually going to work, moving them right now. So they're going to get stuck in that small 5,000-seat arena, lose money on a regular basis just to keep that TV market going. That's my opinion about that. I'd also like to congratulate the Vegas Golden Knights for winning the Stanley Cup. And also congratulate the Hershey Bears for winning the Calder Cup. Congratulations, guys. One of the oldest uh, minor league hockey teams in North America just won the Calder Cup. Also, the Florida Everglades for winning the Kelly Cup. Uh, Well, this is everything about hockey. I hope you enjoyed this broadcast. Thanks a lot. Goodbye.